Now this buyer pack, you come home after two, three years telling me how much money you're losing and you're not sure if it's going to work and people aren't changing and you can't change the behavioral patterns of them, but you're happy. But, you know, that was that's what I guess what fulfilled uh, my ambitions and made me happy. So, yeah, so that's the, that's the transition from, you know, from leaving uni to, to, to getting to where I am today. Welcome to another episode of All Things Coffee. In this episode, we're honoured to welcome a truly visionary guest, Gary Smith, the founder of Biopack, a trailblazer in sustainable packaging. Gary's passion for creating a more sustainable future has reshaped the packaging industry. We'll dive into his journey of founding Biopack, how sustainability and innovation intertwine in his work, and the impact of environmentally conscious packaging on our world. So sit back and enjoy this episode of All Things Coffee. Thanks for having me, Alex. Gary, we've been very excited to have you here. You're our first external guest to actually come in and uh, have a chat. And, you know, we were just talking before about where we want to find out about you and what we wanted to kind of know. And we actually want to get to know you as a person. So I guess my first question for you, Gary, is like, did you go to uni? Um, so when I left school, my intention was to go to uni, Alex, and, um, I started at uni, um, studying for a year. And during that year, in order to fund uni, I I had some part-time jobs and one of the part-time jobs led me to work full-time in that job and less and less on uni. And, um, and unfortunately, um, uni in those days wasn't work from home like it is today. Yeah. Um, if you didn't attend a certain amount of lectures, you couldn't write your exams. Mm. And so, yeah, so unfortunately, it was uh, just just on a year stint where at the end of the year, I wasn't allowed to write those exams. So, um, and, and, and it led me to my career. So, um, so that the work that I did in that year and the business that I started straight out of school, uh, I ran for 13 years and, um, and, and from there emigrated to Australia. Right. So... Go back to what you said before. As you said that you started a business. What 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 was that? Yeah. So this is uh, this is in the late eighties, eighty nine. Um, I actually got a part time job in in just a computer shop. Yeah. And um, there was a massive shortage of memory chips at the time. Right. And so I just ran around town at every computer shop buying them up, and then um, waiting a few weeks until someone needed them and reselling them. And uh, the World Wide Web in those days was a magazine called Asian Sources. Right. And so I got all of Asian Sources and I found a couple of suppliers in the East yep. and started bringing bits and We're talking a couple of thousand dollars at a time. Wow. And in that year of uni, we just brought in more and more and turned it over quite quickly and we had limited funding and grew it. And that grew into a business which um, 10 years on, we, we listed on the stock exchange in South Africa in 97. And uh, the intention with uh, me and my partners at the time because we collaborated with a few firms in the consolidation for the listing, uh, was that you've got two years of me because I'm immigrating. And that's uh, after those. In 99, in 2000, we left to come to Australia. Wow. So super entrepreneurial of you. Does that come from your parents or is that just born with it? Or how, where did it come from? I'm not sure. And... Um, and, 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 you know, I never had any ambitions in school to be, you know, you know, in business or a pilot or to be, to be, to be honest, my sole ambition when I was in school was to be a father. <laughs> no, right. I, just, I just was dying to have kids. But no, I think, um, you know, out of necessity for, you know, making money to pay for uni, it's just, you know, I just believe in life. You know, you don't think 10 or five or three years ahead, one step at a time. And each step, fortunate for me, led to, you know, building the business. 
Wow, that's amazing. So you were 18 kind of when that, I'm yep. guessing around that time started. And that was in South Africa? Correct, yeah. Where in South Africa? I grew up in Johannesburg and lived there until, you know, 19 or 2000, yeah. Yeah, right. And so what made you want to sell and then, as you were saying, immigrate? And you mean immigrate to Australia, is that what you're saying? Correct, yeah. We migrated to Australia in 2000. Um, you know, I, I, I love the country, I love the people and I still do, but we had our first kids in the late 90s, we had two kids. Uh, we, uh, they were one and sort of two years old in late 90s. And um, it was, uh, we felt it wasn't a, a great environment to bring them up. So we looked to immigrate and we looked over all over the world. Um, we had, we, luckily we had choices. Uh, um, I came to look here, I think it was Easter that year. And uh, sort of Friday night, uh, uh, I stayed out in Bondi at, at a hotel that used to be there called the Swiss Grand. Nice. Uh, we had a picnic on the beach that night. We, we walked Bronte, we went to... Camp Cove and Monday morning I was at the solicitors because I knew this is where I wanted to land up. Wow. Was it, must have been mind-blowing if you just had that feeling of going, yep, this is where I want to live. Absolutely. We had most of our family was in Toronto and my sister was in San Diego, so we looked there first. Yeah. And for me that wasn't a fit and we went back thinking we'll, we'll go live in Cape Town. Yep. And, um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I hate talking bad of anywhere, but – but it wasn't it wasn't the right environment for us. We felt to bring up our children. But when we came here, we knew it was a it was a fit like a glove, and and it was four months later we were here. So did you, did you come over to Australia with work, or did you just come over blind? Like what what was the transition of of coming over here? I think we were fortunate with the business we built from when I left school. We were fortunate to come up here, you know, to give us the the the, the, the benefit of having time to look. Yeah. And um, my first um, my first idea was let me let me go you know work in the technology industry because that's where my expertise was. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did uh, until about two thousand and five. Right, um, opened up a small business um, doing computer hardware, which is what I did in in South Africa, mm-hmm. and yeah, did that for five years. Uh, the difference for me was in in South Africa we I'll tell you what we did. It might sound familiar. <laughs> we found a. A best of breed new technology. Yeah, sounds like a compost. <laughs> and we brought it in, and we built up a we built up laptops and computers, but we built up a product and created a brand. Mm. And we created a brand, and that's what I did from eighteen to twenty nine when I lived there. Mm. So coming here and just working in the technology industry, you know, c- distributing you know, g- general hardware without creating a brand, it wasn't fulfilling. It was it was successful, but you know, I remember s- sitting with my wife and saying to her, "It's like I was just really un." wasn't comfortable or happy with the business. And uh, many years on at Biopack for, for three or four years, we spent a lot of years losing copious amounts of money. Mm. And I used to come home really happy and my wife said, she, she just doesn't understand me. <laughs> you know, you were at RP Trading, the, that business you started was making money, ha- unhappy every night. Now this Biopack, you come home after two, three years telling me how much money you're losing and you're not sure it's going to work and people aren't changing and you can't change the behavioral patterns of them, but you're happy. But, you know, that was that's what, I guess what fulfilled uh, my ambitions and made me happy. So, yeah. So that's the that's the transition from you know from leaving uni to 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 get into where I am today. So, just stepping back a little bit to where you said you you started out the company in Australia. Tell us the steps that you went from getting from that. So I'm guessing the next step was Biopack, correct? Correct. Yes. How did you move from that to Biopack? Like, what, what were the the people you met or the things you did that yeah. kind of led you to that situation? So once again, we, we, the business is still going. IP, the business that I was involved in, technology, um, but it wasn't for me. So 
um, my partner bought my equity and I left the business and I really wanted to look for something that was forever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm so, sort of a creature of habit, you know. I still go to the same, you know, chemist I did 23 years ago <laughs> when I first came here. So it was about something that I believed that could be forever. And for me, that was brand building and making a difference or making it, you know, doing something that makes makes a positive change. And I did look at a number. It took me at least a year. I looked at a number of businesses. I did a bit of consulting in businesses to see if that, were, if they, if that was the industry or the business that, that I believed could be forever. Mm-hmm. And, and I bumped into, um, at the time, um, a very uh, a very green individual that um, that really was put on the planet to save it, mm-hmm. and that was Richard Fine. And uh, Richie had spent a couple of years in, in 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 trying to investigate the technologies. He 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 wanted to you know polystyrene was his bugbear, and he kept on looking at a boost juice cup, thinking we can change that. We don't need polystyrene. We can do bamboo. We can do something. And he put a lot of money into investigating new technologies and bringing some products in to trial them. Mm-hmm. And and at the time, you know. I became friendly with them towards the end of 2007 mm-hmm. uh, through a mutual friend. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we started talking and, you know, he wanted to, to, he wanted to try something new. And, um, and I thought, without really getting involved or thinking about the business, I thought, okay, I'll fund that particular, you know, venture of, of, of trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and a few months later, he said, I've got something even newer or better. And, and I remember looking at him and saying, now I'm a partner. You know, I'm not a financier. So mm. let me think about it because the first, the first thing didn't quite work, and the next thing was definitely had potential and legs. And and that's where we sat down and we thought, right, you know, we, I remember we got an office in Bondi Junction, and you know, I'm a firm believer of if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. So we got a you know a, a 300 square meter office. I put in five offices. I put in a boardroom, and we worked over a trestle table looking at each other for the first year because it didn't come that quickly. <laughs> but but it was just the two of us, and we you know we we really started together there. And um, and yeah, um, I think you know our philosophy and um, the ethos of of what we were trying to achieve is you know the same you know fifteen years later. Yeah, right. So, what was that first product that you're talking about? Um, you know, there were a couple of things. Um, we we started off wanting to produce a polymer because at the time there were masses of plastic bags across Australia mm-hmm. and all the manufacturers were pretty much Melbourne-based. Mm-hmm. And we had worked with CSIRO and an offshore company in order to find uh, to develop a plant-based polymer. There mm-hmm. was one already developed and we worked with them and, and, and brought that here. And we did trials with all the plastic bag manufacturers so we could make a compostable bag. I mean, we see them around many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was working with, you know, I remember doing some trials with Daryl Lee about the lining of their licorice bags, making it a, a, a compostable film as opposed to a plastic film. And in 2008 slash nine, um, we just invested a huge amount of money to develop those products and work with those corporate uh, businesses to to change them. Mm-hmm. But there was a small event in 09 called the GFC, mm-hmm. where businesses were making almost lots, a lot less money, retrenching people. And unfortunately, the last thing they were looking for is a slightly more expensive product, no matter what the benefit to the environment was. Mm. Um, and everything just sort of fell on its face then. Mm. So we also looked at a film for, there was a, there was a, a farmer down in Victoria that made a, a packet of, packets of lettuce and, and spinach. And we did, a, we did a film bag for him, a compostable film bag for him as well. So that was the idea is to develop, you know, the polymer uh, or work with international polymer manufacturers as well and convert all plastics to bioplastics and uh, compostable, home compostable type solutions. Fell down in 2009. And at the time, you know, again, we thought of the boost juice. We looked at coffee cups and we thought 
what's the solution for that? We were looking for solutions to eradicate fossil fuel plastics. That was, you know, the businesses and our own ambitions. Mm. And the coffee cup came up and we started looking at developing a coffee cup. And um, there was a company in the, in the US at the time in 2009 that was looking into the same product called International Paper. Mm. And we worked with them as well as a company in Taiwan at, um, at the coffee cup. And we thought, let's just do this as a stopgap. Mm. You know, let's just do this coffee cup just to pay the bills because we're hemorrhaging funds and and, uh, and we can't carry on hemorrhaging. So we need something just to pay the rent and, and a conservative salary for the two of us. Let's just do that for a little bit and then we'll get to the real business, which was the polymer development. So we're still busy with stopgap as we speak 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so when that happened, you know, like a lot of people with, uh, maybe this is not the right terminology, with a, with a fail or with a, a a big roadblock with that stuff. What kept you guys going? Like, was it the discovering of the cup or what made you from going, nah, this is just getting too hard. We're losing too much money to going, nah, we're going to keep on pushing forward, keep on, you know, trying to do something right. Yeah, I think it's just a combination of things. You know, as, as I said, eight, nine and, and definitely the first half of 10 were very difficult because we just, we had no income and we were just investing and investing into the business. Um, and, I think, you know, I always felt that this was an absolute guarantee of working. Like mm. at no stage, even when we failed because of the GFC on our investment into, you know, plastic bags or conversion from plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, every time we, we, from that point when we moved to food-based packaging, we did trays for coals for, for some of their fruits and we did the coffee cup. That was our first initial two products mm. in 09, 10. Um, so that and was the coffee cup and what was the other one that you said? Uh, we did, a, we did a, a pulp-based tray. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. It was an avocado tray at the time um, for, for coals. Mm-hmm. So those those two products, um, you know, with initial, six months later, we had a bit more food packaging in pulp and sugarcane mm-hmm. and expanded uh, cup la- range. But at the end of 2009, we brought in a pallet of coffee cups, which is 20 cartons, 20,000. And although it took us four months to use it, we just – we really saw happy people mm. and we really saw it making a difference. And we really felt like um, if we could educate, it could make a huge difference. Mm. And we're just very passionate about it. Uh, I think, you know, we had a bit of funds to, to – to, maybe if we ran out of funds completely, we would have stopped. <laughs> um, I don't know if I ever thought, how much longer can we do this for? I'm not even sure I thought, will it work? It, it was just a guarantee in my mind. It was just mm. in my mind at all times, this was definitely, you know – what we wanted to be doing and definitely achievable. Did you feel that same mindset with all three businesses you've been a part of? The first two were more commercially viable from the outset. So <laughs> okay. it was much easier to do the other two because we, we started making money almost immediately in the other two. So it was easier in the other two businesses to feel like, yeah, this is definitely forever and this can definitely you know, be a great business. Um, Bipac was a lot harder. Yeah, right. you know, It was a lot harder to um, – but still, you know, now that you talk about it and you say like at what stage did you maybe feel let's pull up stumps or or, or, or this is not going to work at no stage. You know, mm. we never felt it at all. Is that solely based on the mindset or the need or the belief system of the environment? Like, Or, or is it a combination of it all? I think when and, – and, and obviously I've been extremely fortunate to have a, a you know, an environmental, you know, complete passionate – partner in Richard when we when we started you know 
when, when he, he had a firm view from birth, you know, but and 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 he was a great educator from for me. So when we started thinking of you know you know what the impact of you know the alternate was, mm. we, we just we just not even believed. We just you know had in our minds an absolute guarantee that it just can't continue. Mm. And it was just about finding ways, which which was frustrating. Not not that it put us off our, off what we wanted to do or gave us any. Um, any thoughts of ending or stopping what we were doing, it just pushed us. The frustration was how are we going to get to speak one-on-one with everybody? Because mm. we felt like we could market with limited funds. We felt like we could um, we could maybe brochure drop in those days. Mm. And uh, this, this is 2009-10. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the frustration was we knew we had to, and it's still the case mostly today, we had to just go one-on-one with people. And when we talked to them, when we had time with them, then they then they bought into or believed in what we were doing, and and slowly that's what built our business. Yeah, right. So you, were, you said you were moved into from the plastic bags into the cups, and then that was around two thousand and ten. What's been the you know the business since two thousand and ten to I guess to current? That's almost ten years of business. What's what's kind of been happening in those years? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean the cups. We worked uh, initially. We worked with cups, and you know, as a small business, you've got a limited time. We only have like twenty-seven hours a day, mm-hmm. and they were pretty full. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, twenty-seven uh, hours a day. We 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 we, we concentrated a lot on uh, it, when it fills your day. You don't have a lot of opportunity to think about the next product or the next step in the business. But it took massive strides forwards. Almost every day because uh, because of uh, the one product, mm. and so we, we launched sugarcane pulp and we launched the coffee cups in the, in in that period. And for four or five years, you know, it really went well, mm. and we got more and more people, you know, adopted you know our sustainable solutions. And yeah, when when we had more staff and when we built a bigger team, we might have been about ten or fourteen people in about two thousand thirteen. We had a little bit more time to think, like, what's next? And that's always been what we've what we've put, you know, the, the the foot we've put in front of the other is what else? What else is 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 really a linear economy solution and not a circular economy solution? What else is petroleum based that we just have to take out? You know, mm. nature's way of recycling. I imagine a thousand years ago, if someone wanted something to eat, they grabbed a leaf. You know, they put you know maybe the meat on the leaf, and and then it you know it broke down. In, mm. in, in other words, composted. So we, we felt like everything should follow that course. And so we thought cutlery. We thought, you know, clear cups because we only had a, a, mm. a coffee cup. We thought more takeaway container solutions. So just we, we gradually expanded a comprehensive food-based packaging solution all on a plant basis. So, so you know, through, through, through 2014 till today, we're still thinking what next, you know, what other, what other innovations or changes can we make from absolutely, you know, Horrible sustainable uh, uh, solutions to what we believe is uh, the only sustainable solutions. And do you think we'll ever get to a, I guess, a solution that is parallel or very close to the the leaf analogy that you just used? Do you think that that is on the horizon? Is that possible? I think there's two solutions we'll look for, <laughs> and and I'm a dreamer, so absolutely, I'm, I, I strongly believe we will. I don't even think we will, but I do think that. Um, there's a lot of disruption in the waste industry. Even, you know, we speak to legislators on a, on a monthly basis. We're speaking to governments, local governments. Unfortunately, in Australia, there's certainly not uh, a federal government initiative that covers all. Uh, mm. In New Zealand, and we're in Singapore, in the UK as well, we constantly speak to legislators um, just to prove concept to them. A mm. lot of people will go and say, we believe in this solution, and here's our theory why it can work. 
Mm-hmm. We are going and saying, we believe in these, this solution, and he has a hundred instances of it working. Mm. If it's a restaurant, let's say, he has a hundred restaurants working with that solution because with legislators, all they have to do is really see the solution in, in, in real life, not in a, a theoretical you know, white paper. Mm. And then they can legislate, they can change. Mm. So we do speak to legislators, we do speak to you know, different government organisations besides government, besides uh, 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 you know, federal ministers that make, uh, or, or, or local ministers. And, um, and we know what they, the, 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 the mountain they've got ahead of them. Mm. But we know they right now, absolutely have the right mindset because we've been doing it for 10 years. Mm. When Josh Frydenberg in Australia was the federal minister for um, the environment, long time before he was the finance minister, long time before he wasn't in, wasn't in power, you know, we, we started visiting him in 2014-15. So we've been doing it for a long time in going in and just trying to educate waste companies and government. But now we're seeing a whole lot of legislation that is, you know, asking people to do what we started doing in 2009. Mm. And, um, and so I do see it. I do see that we've got four or five years of infrastructure build and it's really important in Australia. We do and we are putting a lot of effort and funding into infrastructure. Mm. It's important that we educate consumers so mm. that they become a lot smarter and a lot more um, not susceptible to greenwashing, that they know what they want and, what, and you know, the younger generation of people today, they know what they want and they, they can't be, you know, the wool can't be pulled over their eyes mm. and they are the ones pushing, you know, for change. And so I think it will happen. We will build infrastructure. We will have a, a circular system where, like the leaf. That's cool. That's really cool. It's funny, hey, like I think as you're saying, like this next generation coming through is not just wanting it, it's almost demanding it. And I think that is such a, beautiful thing really that, that it's being forced upon the world it's just do we think it's I guess one of the other things for you probably looking from the other side of it is like the financial costs of it all right like there's you know we got rising you know rates and yeah. you know wages and x y and z but is, is it is it possible to do with that those those problems as well happening it definitely is and if you just look at a simple for me, something simple like university courses now versus ten or fifteen years ago. Mm. Every one of them are themed with some with with sustainable, you know, uh, uh, foundations. Mm. And there are, you know, strict, you know, just you know, packaging technologists can just do study sustainable packaging technology builders, you know, and architects. And it's just it's themed and almost. You know, I would I want to say, don't want to say brainwashed, but it's in everyone's mind that they design and they build around what's best for the planet. Mm. So it's definitely possible, and and everyone's an influencer. Mm. You know, if I'm studying architecture in the built environment and I'm looking for green spaces and looking how I can harness wind so I don't have to you know put the aircon on or or, or or keep the sun out, whatever it is to keep us more sustainable, using less energy, producing less carbon. Every industry and every career has it. And if I'm studying it, I'm telling my friends about it mm. and they're telling their friends about it. So there's just this massive influencer base of almost all individuals that you know that are just educating you. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it is possible. The financial cost is always a tricky you know, uh, hurdle. Um, and especially today, you've got interest rate rises. You've got mass inflation when it comes to labor, when it comes to commodities, when mm-hmm. it comes to everything in your business, a restaurant, coffee, everything has just experienced some hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And that's putting a lot of pressure on business and specifically small business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that whether it be a 5 or a 10 or, or a 15% cost, I don't think 
if you look at the uptake of, 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 of our products, for example, I don't think people look at it as a cost. I think they weigh the environmental cost in, in, in a much higher uh, uh, place than they do the, the financial cost mm. because it seems to be we'll cut, you know, potentially elsewhere, but this is a, like a non-negotiable. Mm. It's really cool to kind of see that that little bit of an increase is actually going to be potentially, you know, saving the planet for the future, right, for the future generations. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, and and it's amazing. I know there's legislation now, mm. but legislation has come way after the consumer made the decision themselves. Totally. Now, I really believe that more than 50% of the market had made the decision by the time the first laws came in, in South Australia and Western Australia. We see now in New Zealand uh, um, in February next year, they have similar laws being implemented. So the consumer, it, the consumer made the decision way before, you know, the government forced it upon everybody. Mm. And also there was, there was good investigation on what is the impact on small business. That I, I don't think they make these changes flippantly. Mm. I think they do investigate small business and see the impact. So, yeah, and, and also the added volume, the added um, uh, uh, production has made it, um, will make it cheaper. We'll, or the, the you know, economies of scale will make sure that, will make it that the products come down. Nothing will ever be as cheap as plastic. Mm. It's a very, very cheap resource, mm. you know, oil. But, yeah, it won't, it'll be marginally more. Mm. It's funny, though, like a lot of the time, you know, cheap product leads to, you know, bigger problems really a lot of the time. Yeah. Pay cheaper for your jeans. You most likely have to replace them sooner. All those kind of things. That Correct. The, there is a, you know, an importance to that kind of, I guess, way of life. And so I guess for us is asking you really is going like, if I was, you know, young budding entrepreneur that kind of wanted to do something similar in this space uh, in terms of some sort of environmental in... So like you're saying, in architecture, if I was wanting to do it in, you know, the building industry or the aviation industry, whatever industry you're in, right? Like what would be some tips that you recommend as being a business owner, creator in, I think, I guess in this bio kind of area? What would be some of you like, I guess two or three tips that you reckon would be, you wish you knew before you started? Um, look, I mean... Uh I think the most important thing that you, if you're going to start a business, um, uh, I think, you know, effort is everything. You know, mm. it's, it's, I see so many business that, that uh, potentially can do amazing things and fail because of not putting the effort. And yeah, I mean, there's a work-life balance mm-hmm. and, and the amount of time you put into it, but there's nothing that hard work can't accomplish. I strongly believe that, you know, talent and, you know, I guess uh, uh, being smart uh, can contribute maybe 40 or 50% of what you can achieve, but at least 50% is about the effort you put in. And, and for me, that is everything. Mm. Um, that's number one. The, the other thing is just, you know, people often um, put up a front or, 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 or they're scared of the negatives and what, what customers or potential partners might understand in the negatives. Uh, my view is um, just be completely transparent and honest. Mm. Um, and, and it doesn't make a difference. People need to understand the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's how you retain partners. That's how you retain customers. That's how you retain staff. It's, it's okay to be vulnerable and tell, tell all, no matter if it's good or bad, because you know, that, that proves that you are being inclusive of everybody. And you can work through anything as long as everyone is in possession of all the facts. Mm. So yeah, you know, in my early career, you try and 
hide something from a partner or not intentionally, just not to upset them or, you know, maybe say, you know, even from a little thing for a customer like, you know, they might not have stock tomorrow, just tell them. Mm. Now we can. There's little things about just complete vulnerability and honesty. And so that's one. And two is just put in the time, you know, mm. put in the effort and... Yeah, I think in the beginning, if I'd operated maybe with, with, with more of that, it might have accelerated my career. But um, I, I don't know any other tips that I can give everybody, but those two will, will hold them in really good stead. Yeah. I also, I, I, I don't know, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing I really loved that you said before, especially about, about BiPAC is that, I don't know if this would be true, but you had such a strong belief in knowing that it's it's right. Yeah. That seemed like... That seemed like that actually allowed you to have the energy to put in the effort as well. Like when you had no doubt, like yep. the belief in something, that seemed really powerful. I don't know if that would be a part of your thing or if you. Sometimes, sometimes um, success or progress uh, makes you have the belief because things are working out. But uh, in, with Biopack, it was absolutely not the case in that success and progress did, you know, we weren't successful and we didn't have any progress in the business. But yeah, you know, maybe it's blind, you know, ignorance. I'm not sure what it was. But yeah, you know, I, I, as, I, as you know, there are many people that, you know, go to work and come home and, and they don't really, they do it just, you know, to put some money in the bank so they can survive. But um, it's amazing how much more, you wake up happy every day when you love what you're doing. So that belief is essential. To absolutely believe in what you're doing, if you don't, I'm not going to tell everyone to leave their job or to start another business, but you know it's going to not. You won't. You won't be successful. You won't create if you don't absolutely believe with every single fibre of your being that this is what this is. This is right for the planet, or this is right for me, or or, or, or this is really what I should be doing and what I want to be doing forever. Mm. Well, Gary, we thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I think Campos is really proud to be a part of the Biopack journey and we are super thankful for, you know, the the development, the innovation, the creation that you guys have done and continue to push forward and, you know, we look forward to partnering with you guys in the future. Oh, thank you, Alex. And uh, we, we're extremely proud partners. As, as you know, it's been almost a decade now and... Uh, we, we love working with our customers and uh, we, we, you know, it's our family. You know, we spend 10 hours a day with the people we work with and multiple hours a day with the people that uh, we, we, we transact with. So, you know, we have fun with them and we were really proud to be you know, part of the series and, and part of the campus family. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of All Things Coffee. If you enjoyed this episode, would love for you to rate us or leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, hit that follow button so you never miss a future episode. I'm your host, Alex. And until next time, happy brewing.